0: None of the content on this or any episode of the Kratom Science Podcast, Kratom Science Journal Club, or on any page of KratomScience.com is intended, nor should it be considered medical claims or medical advice. This is the Kratom Science Journal Club with Dr. Jonathan Cachet, neuroscientist and expert in psychopharmacology. In each episode, we discuss an article in a peer-reviewed journal. I'm your host, Brian Gallagher log and social media writer for KratomScience.com Your source for all things Kratom. So we got Understanding Kratom Use A Guide for Healthcare Providers. Uh, this was published in March 2022. This is a team of few people that have been on the podcast Mark Swagger led the study spearheaded it Um, Kirsten Smith was just on uh, one of the last episodes Uh, Oliver Grunman was on Uh, Henningfield has done a lot of research and stuff uh, with the American Kratom Association Albert Garcia Ramal I'm trying to get him on all these people have done pretty good research and some papers we have covered before this is really good i think i mean this is the one thing i was excited about in the last couple months that came out doctors can't know about every single thing and uh, not every doctor is going to be open minded about hey i'm using this substance we don't know much about it uh, they're not going to say oh yeah good mm-hmm. if they don't know anything about it and they're going to they might just google it like everybody else does um, I'm sure they would read a little bit more into it, but doctors are especially... And when I say doctors, I mean physicians. Uh, especially after COVID, they're swamped, and, and if you come at them with like a new thing, they're going to look it up, and it's going to be case reports of uh, liver toxicities and uh, poison control center calls and stuff like that. And they're not going to necessarily delve into the science on this specific herb um so yeah. i think that's why this
1: thing's pretty important i agree i agree i mean so i think that this is probably the most important paper that we've pulled up and, and reviewed you know this year particularly because of, of what you were just saying like it's directed at trying to provide you know your doctor your primary healthcare physician your pcp with a framework in which to understand Kratom. So it provides like a very uh, up to date overview of the psychopharm of the animal models, but then it also comes to best practices on how to deal with them. You know, of course, yeah, I see our our good friend, Mark up there as author number one, but I think this is very timely and I'm happy that we're covering this one on uh, the Kratom science podcast, because if there are any physicians out there that are listening um, or patients Um, who have already spilled the beans about their creative use to their doctor. Um, This open source paper, you know, providing that either doctor to patient or providing it directly to doctors is something that I think is um, definitely needed as we as we progress, you know, uh, especially on the use in that clinical setting. So very timely
0: yep it's uh, in frontiers and pharmacology the full paper is available for free and I'll have a link in the description and if you're if you feel comfortable showing this to your doctor uh, then by all means uh, maybe they'll read it and because um, just the language in here it's a lot of um, stuff that I I wish we would see in other papers. They don't leave out possibility of uh, adverse events, but it's not the headline, and it takes into account the majority experience versus the minority uh, bad experience. So it's really good, and I think uh, it would be great for uh, healthcare providers.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, so this is definitely, because it's a sort of article directed at doctors and primary care physicians, um, it certainly isn't incentivized by, you know, um, f- f- like, let's say NIDA funding where you have to either prove a benefit or toxicity. And so it's certainly not, you know, like some of the headlines of the ones that we have read. You know, you can just tell right off the bat that they're like, create them bad, you know, and, and, yeah. and the sanity and the hysteria ar- around it. Um, this is definitely a very uh, objective approach. I think it's written by like, you know, an interdiverse or um, interdisciplinary team of scientists and everything mm. is presented in, in an objective way, too. So I, I agree with you on that on, on that point.
0: I have a clip because I interviewed Kirsten Smith where she says um, why the purpose for the paper. So I'll just play that.
2: Mark was the one who spearheaded that, and he, mm-hmm. um, Mark Swagger, and he, and all of us, of course, first and foremost, want to have clinicians, if they are to go into Google Scholar or you know just Google Kratom, have some alternative other than WebMD or the Mayo Clinic. Beyond that, um, of just raising awareness, I think there's the. Hope that we have that. And again, I have a clinical background, so I was actually initially going to, to go provide substance use disorder treatment to, to people. That was what I thought I was going to do in life. And clearly it, things have changed quite a lot, but I am trained to assess people with a DSM-5 and diagnose people. And what I, I know to be true, both on the giving and receiving end of treatment, whether it's substance use disorder treatment, psychiatric health, physical health, a lot of the patient provider dynamics are asymmetrical. So you have this person with a lot of knowledge and authority and quite frankly, a lot of power over you as a patient. And what really should be happening is this, what is called evidence-based practice or evidence-based medicine. And it's this process, right? And as part of that process, the the physician or the um, clinician is supposed to not only look at the available evidence for any sort of intervention or therapy or treatment or clinical decision-making, but also to take into account the patient's preferences, values, desires, perspective, point of view. And so it's really, I think, challenging in America, which has a very difficult system to interact with anyway for healthcare, assuming you can get healthcare um, Mm -hmm. and treatment. It's hard even for patients who are very privileged and able or feel as though they're able to advocate for themselves and who feel empowered enough to maybe push back, not in a mean way, but just in a, you know, advocating for your own clinical needs. Because at the end of the day, you know, your body and your health and Mm -hmm. your everyday life better than the doctor does on some level. Now, I'm not saying like, you know, how like a cancer is spreading, you know, per se, but you know how you feel and you know, more or less what you want your quality of life to look like. And that does need to be communicated to you and received by the clinician. So we, at the end of the paper wrote these tips for, you know, if you're a clinician, here's a, here's who, who might be more likely to be using Kratom because we know a lot of the factors of like comorbidities or chronic pain or fatigue. I mean, all these different things, but even among healthy people, you know, who use it for recreation, creation, that's also possible, but approach the person in a non-judgmental way, in a non-stigmatizing way. When you ask about creative use, include it as part of a standard assessment. Don't, you know, make it this special, unique thing, but do what you should be doing. I would say anyway, which is to ask about any sort of supplement over the counter, herbal, illicit, licit, every, you know, the entire package. So it's not just Kratom, it's Kratom plus all the other things a person could be taking and don't single it out as just this one thing, but do mention it because your earlier point, I'm not sure if I were taking Kratom, whether I would tell my doctor about it for the reasons that your interlocutor um, said, but also I, I would want people to tell their, it's, it's, it's this horrible feeling to have because I would never say, oh, don't you know withhold information from a, from a clinician. But at the same time, I do. I mean, we talked about this on the show last time, and it's again, not a secret. I have a history of heroin, IV heroin use and Literally just this past week, I wrote a piece from the perspective of a patient with a drug use history to physicians about how I would wish that they would interact with people like myself. And I am in a very decent position from having been trained to be where I am now that I can interact with a healthcare provider in a fairly savvy way, but the average person is not equipped to exercise their autonomy and advocate for themselves in a way that i think might be needed and so it's it is a very 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 unfortunate space to be in where i wouldn't know i i, I don't think that we could recommend any i'm specifically not recommending anything one way or another because it's up yeah. to everyone individually on a case by case basis because if your doctor's like a really good human and really listens to you and and wants to understand then Yes, I mean, why wouldn't you tell them? But once it's in your medical chart, it's in your medical chart, and that is a decision that every every person has to make um, for themselves. But I would say, if you're experiencing health problems, you know, you should probably be as forthcoming as you as you can with your yeah, doctor. definitely.
1: Okay, so that was it. That was great. That was a, a great quote, and actually, I'm I'm very glad that you uh, you played it because. My favorite part of the of the entire article, where they talk about patient trust, so the importance between the doctor and the patient relationship, and so they go into um, best practices for clinicians, and it starts with the assessment, um, and it you know it highlights specifically the stance of a non stigmatizing and respectful uh, doctor may increase the likelihood of honest patient d- disclosure, and there certainly is especially among chronic pain patients, this like concern, you know, not only with Kratom as an herbal medicine, but also with cannabis as an herbal medicine. Mm-hmm. It's it's a bummer because you could lose, your, end up losing your doctor and having to switch doctors is of course a, a horrible place to be. Um, and I think, You know, I think the way that the hospitals are being staffed and healthcare is being staffed is a a whole nother issue. Like I've had to switch my PCP four times in the last year, and it's just a complete mess that maybe not for this podcast, but maybe. But like it's it's hard to find a doctor that you can establish a trusting relationship with where you are seeing them long term and you can actually be. You know very uh uh, forthright honest and open with them Um, and she refers to the evidence-based treatment process and so the quote in here about patient-centered treatment the evidence-based treatment process specifically highlights the need for clinical engagement and shared decision making with patient values and the goals inherent in that process Mm -hmm. and so even for me and i i guess i i you know they talk about the difficulties of a regular person to interact with their doctor to talk with them on a real level about why creative may work or chronic pain patients uh, even me with a phd in psychopharmacology which i generally disclose like up front at the beginning so they understand where, where my level of knowledge is i still can sometimes run into pushback to where you know they're the doctor what they what they know is Canonical, written in stone, they know best, and they're not considering my input on where things may be, um, or interactions, or potential benefits, or, or potential harms are. I know it, here in Ohio, like a lot of chronic pain patients, when the medical program came online, when they got the medical marijuana prescription the physicians and physician's offices just would sometimes cut them off just immediately, you know, no gradual uh, taper down or anything. They're just like, well, if you're using cannabis, then you can't be using uh, opiates. And there is really no reason for it, no medical reason for it. And the worst part of it is it's usually not the doctor who's making that decision. It's the administrative uh, employees of the medical group that you're with. Like they create policies that say, no can- medical cannabis and opiates at the same time, and so even though the doctor may know that there is no risk and potential benefits in terms of like using less opiates because you have cannabis uh, you, and the, and they can potentiate the effects, um, or using your opiates in conjunction with kratom um, or the in between days, it's just unfortunate that they know that, but their hand, their like hands are tied behind their their back because of the way that some of these administrative clinics are 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 working um but it's just so important it's so important to have a doctor that you can be completely transparent with and open with and it and it's unfortunate that especially the way with how stigmatized chronic pain patients are that it's super risky to bring these things up because it, it'll either lead to it could lead to the doctor saying well no and if you're taking that i'm not re- i'm not refilling your prescription and i don't even know if i can see you anymore like you have to go about finding another doctor which is just as a chronic pain patient you're stigmatized at the beginning yeah and they have to make some sort of evaluation of whether this is like drug seeking behavior or actually you know something that is a, a medical problem that needs treatment uh, I, i'm yeah. sure there's tons of people that have had that experience
0: I had a guest on episode 70. I just looked it up. Sean Wenzel. um, she is a chronic pain patient. She has degenerative disc disease, um, and she got thrown off a pain medication because she tests positive for cannabis, uh, in Colorado too. So it was, yeah. It, and it, it was just one of those things like what? And that's when, uh, she discovered Kratom, Up to 60% of patients turn to non-medical modalities for treatment. Healthcare practitioners must therefore be knowledgeable about the implications of using these substances. Going along with that, kind of a... Poo pooing of everything is pseudoscience, even though there's a lot of science going on with f- <laughs> Kratom, and there's kind of that. Like, I'm using this herb uh, that really helps me because there is a lot of pseudoscientific stuff out there. So, I understand it from that perspective. Initially, that might be the reaction like, no, this isn't approved. And then, starting with that prejudice, you look it up, and uh, you know, DA doesn't recommend it.
1: It can be real difficult. Like, it just says you're saying, like, from just the base. The doctor is skeptical of any like homeopathic or herbal or any type of care like that. And it, but up to 60% of patients are looking at these herbal and uh, homeopathic and alternative methods. I didn't realize it was 60%. It's unfortunate that sometimes, like, even you have to consider your doctor as a person and their sort of ego when you're having these conversations, when that shouldn't really even be part of the conversation or, or that shouldn't get in the way at all. Like if you are presenting valid sort of symptoms with valid uh, sort of research that you have for them to just dismount, dismiss it outright is unfortunate. And just like she said in the quote, and it's right under the the quote where the where the best practices here that we're referring to in that first paragraph, when they do go to like, drugs.com when their first Google search for Kratom, um, is news articles and these fear mongering headlines, you know, nobody has the time to read the articles anymore. I think we stopped reading articles in like 2000 right now. Everybody's titles (laughs) only. So it's just, uh, Articles like this, like she's saying, and you know, the purpose of it was to get some um, objective information out there that hopefully is is getting in the hands of the physicians.
0: Yeah, and I found the other quote was under uh, the harm reduction section. Um, Kratom has the advantage of being available to individuals who cannot access medical treatment due to barriers in the system or due to mistrust of the healthcare system, uh, providing a potential self treatment for OUD or anything else to a wide swath of people who would otherwise receive none so you know on the one hand um you know kratom's not approved and everything but on the other hand people are using it because the same system that approves of drugs and and gives out uh, medical care is not accessible to them or there's mistrust probably based on how expensive it is probably isn't the only thing that sows mistrust but it, it kind of mm-hmm. gives you kind of like a, a um, justification for mistrust uh, barriers to for access
1: sure. yeah yeah the barriers to access, especially in the United States and like yeah you know COVID has certainly like put a, a, a rethought and a reconsideration across the board in a number of things and, and what I hate to see and this is an analogy is I hate to see the worker blamed, but in this case it would be I hate to see the patient blamed, right? So yeah. in some in, in some it, the general narrative and I, you know that's being pushed is people's subconsciousness is nobody wants to work. The reality is nobody wants to work for nothing in a shitty environment uh, with no purpose, right? Plenty of people want to work, they just don't want to work for minimum wage as a drone in a corporate, you know. Uh, warehouse and blaming it back on the workers like they're just they don't nobody wants to work that anymore it's like no that's not the case no one wants to put up with shitty work anymore and so you you can't blame the patient in this scenario as well just like you can't blame the workers like the system itself is excluding people from access and even if they do gain access um, like you're saying the cost can get in the way If you're on you know like state-sponsored medicare medicaid um and a medical cannabis patient and you know a chronic pain patient like just switching providers the insurance companies are making have just as much power as like the administrative units over these doctors to where the patient can't be blamed for going to alternative methods when you have to do so much and there's so many costs and so much risk and so much change happening in the medical program broadly. Like, gosh, I just wish it was better in the United States, but it's not, it's a bad situation for public health. I just don't Mm -hmm. see it getting better either. Access is a huge, huge issue. And then losing access. Like if you, once you say that you use Kratom, then you lose access. Like how do you go about finding another physician in your area? Hey, they, they kicked me out because I'm a chronic pain patient. I've been using hydrocodone. For the last 12 years, so I obviously have a, a dependence on it. So I wouldn't say it's an addiction, um, but I'm certainly dependent on it, and I need to continue that therapy. You know, can you take me in? And you know, again, these administrative units may say every every doctor in this facility cannot prescribe controlled substances, especially opiates. So then you got to move on to the next one. A particular situation that I ran into was for me was, it was I was dealing with resident physicians. are you aware resident physicians so what's the story with that you know there there's nurse practitioners and resident physicians that are like going through the training process the the, the nurse practitioner is pretty good on their own but they don't have an md and usually they have to follow all administrative policies but, or consult with an md with a resident physician that is technically your doctor But then when it comes to writing prescriptions and actually like making recommendations on what the medical treatments or therapy should be, that physician has to go talk to an MD who is usually in charge of like 10 plus 15 plus other MDs because these hospital groups and associations are trying to save costs by like hiring students or resident physicians, much like universities don't hire tenure track professors anymore. They hire adjunct professors for a much lower cost. So it's just, you know, there are definitely systematic um, barriers to access and it's not getting any better. And that's why there's nothing wrong with switching doctors and there's nothing wrong with switching doctors until you find one that you're comfortable with. And that is comfortable with you. There are good doctors out there. There are doctors that understand, but gosh, my heart goes out to everybody who, you know, gets put in that situation because it can be really, you know, a really high stress at high cost and sticky situation. And, and of course, as we all know, people go to the alternative treatments that people don't know about Kratom, they know, probably know about heroin or, you know, other potential street drugs. And, you know, then fentanyl becomes an enormous worry, an enormous risk that You know, when I mentioned that I'm involved with the fentanyl project, just getting testing strips out to potential users, like it's such a Mm. bad medical decision for your doctor to put you into that situation. You know what I mean? Like, it's the worst medical decision they could have made.
0: Another thing that screws with the healthcare is the sensationalized and negative reports. And I'll read what they say in this. Um, Moreover, sensationalized and negative reports lead some patients to fear, revealing crazy use to their health care providers and misinform those providers about the risks of Kratom use. Recent publications in medical journals espouse Kratom use is highly problematic and its effects contributes to the growing opioid crisis without adequate supporting data. This rhetoric can stigmatize users and mislead well intentioned healthcare professionals into an anti Kratom stance that could negatively impact their patients and patient provider relationship. So 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Oh, and I was gonna say, like they they talk about they use the term drug hysteria in this paper, which is you know we hardly ever see that with some of these uh, case reports and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, because the case reports themselves sometimes can fall into that classification. Unfortunately, warnings regarding kratom exhibit features of drug hysteria, and it says. Uh, Conclusions by many negative, sensationalized, or otherwise decontextualized media reports on Kratom have been questionably drawn from case studies and toxicology reports, which at best provide low levels of evidence due to unknown internal validity and generalizability and over-representation of extreme events.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And once those core beliefs are set, like once that initial Google is set, your first like doctors have no time. So they're they're yeah. trying to browse through as quickly as they can. They get their initial like um impression, that's it. And it's not gonna change. And it's not gonna change really until probably a patient, you know, I wouldn't say the administration, until they're forced to like sort of reconsider it, right? Until they have to, until it's part of their you know maybe they're doing continuing medical education you know since since no since we're just a headline only reading culture. culture at this <laughs> point the the drug hysteria continues you know but that's again why i'm glad you know the the group of people that pulled this paper together have and we're promoting it uh on the podcast because it at least is objective and not explicitly fear mongering right yeah so, the, and they, they do give a good, uh, good overview of potential, you know, they give potential side effects, potential drug interactions, and all, all interactions that, of course, we know and most people in this field know, but, you know, you want to be concerned about taking kratom with alcohol or with opiates or with benzos and of course like opiates Mm. plus benzos uh, is the the deadly cocktail like that's why we're losing people that combination there and they also talk specifically about like some so like erythromycin inhibitors um, and pgp substrates i thought it was cool that they specifically mentioned like Those two things that could lead to clinically significant toxicity. Um, I don't think I've come across that with erythromycin before.
0: Yeah, me neither. I I pulled that one out. Are those like lopiramide protease inhibitors? Yeah, erythmiacin. Are these all like anti diarrheal drugs or something? That I, I did a I'm quick Google and that's PGP substrates.
1: The calcium, calcium. Is the ch- one that's in, like, yeah, the anti diarrheal tablets that you get. So yeah, yeah, it's an opiate that doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier. Okay. It stays within the the body so it it can slow down the guts in your intestines but you don't get the psychological effects because it can't cross that blood brain barrier so i guess that that does make sense because if you're taking an opiate for pain um that is in your in your uh, nervous systems in the head in the central nervous system with another one that is uh, you know you're putting additional Um, Slowing down that that digestive system even more. And I can understand how that could be a a potential problem.
0: Just compound that. Um, They do also mention something we talked about, which is uh, cytochrome P450 enzyme activities. So uh, another drug that takes those same pathways uh you're compounding it and they also mentioned something else that is important that it's particularly with higher levels of consumption where all this happens so mm-hmm. if you if less is more if you use less uh you, there's less risk of this stuff happening but it'd be great if you could talk to your doctor about it and the doctor would
1: understand how kratom works. Well, speaking of that and how much you're taking, what did you think about the dose range that they were reporting in the dosage section? Did that uh, jump out at <sighs> all to you? It says approximately five grams of raw plant material are reported to exert stimulant effects and have been compared to caffeine. Doses between five and 15 grams are reported to lead to relaxation and the analgesic effects. And I just, my personal reaction was that's pretty high. Yeah. Um, I mean, five grams of raw plant would be 10 capsules if they're half gram capsules you know then of course 15 would be 30 30 half gram capsules you know it seems to be looking at browsing the the kratom subreddits most people do the toss and wash which is just blows my mind um and i guess getting five grams down in like one or two toss and washes is, is possible yeah i just thought it was high generally and it was it was sort of weird because you know, they say, although no dose range can be clinically recommended, patients can be informed that some average doses are approximately 2.5 grams. Um, so it was half of the five gram raw plant uh, that they reported just, you know, just at the top of the um, top of paragraph. But like you said, you know, just like with cannabis, um, people starting off, go low, go slow, figure out what, you know, what doses are right. Um, and then also. Um, potentially prevent heading down a path of to dependence.
0: Yeah, I thought that was a little high because cause I get uh, re- relaxation on four grams. I just had I had some a couple hours ago, and I'm I definitely feel relaxed with the energy. You know, it's it's not just the energy at four grams for me. Mm-hmm. I ought to try doing like two grams at one time. To see what that does. I don't. I, I'm I'm sure it would give me like a little lift and not much of the relaxation feeling but uh I generally
1: yeah when i was when i was using capsules i generally yeah started with like six so that would have been three grams yeah um or i would do like you know i would have i would eat four have a meal and then put two on top of that but i've never actually like would sat down and tried to take 30 of those capsules can you imagine that oh my god the- the burp after that like (laughs) oh golly you know it's gonna be something crazy (laughs) you know what's funny
0: is like yeah my my dose would be eight capsules but I take tea so it's two teaspoons Uh, it's it's so much uh, less of a feels less like a drug when you're doing two teaspoons and making a tea than eight capsules because my friend I introduced her to Kratom she loves it (laughs) Mm -hmm, (laughs) but mm -hmm. but she's up to like ten capsules a day or something like that and Uh, her husband who's also my friend was like oh man she's taking that every day she's taking like 10 capsules I'm like it's only man it's only five grams it's not bad unless unless she's spending too much money for them and but so right. she yeah but she recently just quit she's like quit and i'm like yeah you gotta take tolerance breaks or whatever and uh i was like do you get any withdrawals because i think she's been doing it daily for a few months and she's like nah, nothing
1: she got not nothing. really yeah with that yeah. With that plant-based and and that amount of use yeah you may feel, you know, it's the psychological versus the, the physical for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, but it just seems like it'd be, an, it'd be, it'd be another um, reason for uh, somebody's physician to get involved because then you then can you have your doctor say, this is within the lower range or the moderate range, but don't do any more than that. and. The person could tell their spouse that, you know, don't well, worry.
1: about I was just to say, the, the other thing with dosing that's interesting, at least, is that we trying to come off of dosing is like, let's say you are taking 30 capsules plus. So a big dose of plant material a day, and you've been doing it for the last two or three years, mm-hmm. but you are realizing that, you know, you're, you're spending too much money on this and that you need to cut that back it would be great to be able to go to your physician and let them know about this, have them help you. So, and and they talk about that, like alternative clinical treatments for OUD if to get on Suboxone or Methadone. For some people, that would be of great value to them to help them get off Kratom, like to exit ramp off Kratom. And if you're just sort of like, dropping all of this on your doctor the day you decided to quit and say, I've been doing this for years. And you know, it's just going to be more difficult for them to, I think, help and trust you in this, in what could be considered like a mildly emergency situation. So it's rather than bring it up when you need help and need help, like immediately, especially if you're facing withdrawal symptoms, it would be so much better if they had an idea that you're using Kratom or at least you had mentioned it before, before you go in there and ask them to help you. You know, I, could just see how that could backfire
0: the, the thing you said about them having not a lot of time is uh like I, I just saw a new doctor about uh in february and i was thinking about whether to tell him I, and i had my medical cannabis card and, and i noticed like he was in a hurry and i'm like uh, i'm not gonna i just don't even want to have a conversation right now because uh, there's just want to unders- risk it yeah yeah i just don't i might like if i get to know him a little better uh i might bring that in and and i so i use so little crane and man cannabis that it doesn't really just notice he was rushed and i just did not want to sit there and have a conversation about something he might have never heard of with him but maybe no, hopefully in the yeah.
1: future <laughs> Yeah, certainly. Right. Like, even if you do start engaging in that conversation in his head, he's already thinking about the next patient. So, yeah. it wouldn't have even been effective. Mm-mm. um I'm pretty sure when I was in California, I went to a pain management clinic and it was like, it was like one of those offices that wasn't associated with a doctor group. Like, it was, you know, in a, and not in a strip mall, but in like, you know, a big retail center with a Kroger in the corner, but all they did was pain management, but like plastered on every wall and every sign was like drug tests every week, compliance, absolutely no cannabis, absolutely no Kratom. Like it was posted on every wall. Um, and I just thought, gosh, these guys are like, like really trying to force patients down a specific path rather than mm-hmm. consider each patient individually. You know, and who knows, maybe they were getting kickbacks to, for suboxone or, or some other yeah. uh, you know treatment, it's wild. You know, I, I just heard about uh, a friend of mine's uh, one of his family members got diagnosed with cancer, and so they presented the treatment options, and they and they recommended a specific drug. And the guy goes, um, "Okay, well, I hope you don't mind me asking, but I, why are you recommending that specific drug? Are you getting kickbacks um, from that drug manufacturer?" And the doctor was honest enough to say, "Yes." And that essentially wow. we found out that the doctor group gets like $150,000 for every patient they sign up on this specific drug. And it's just like, what a conflict of interest. That's horrible. I think it might have been
0: Sarah Silverman. She was talking about, she went into a doctor's office. She saw like notepads with this certain drug on it. There was like everything bit like a neon Budweiser sign of this drug. And she went in, he's like, I'm going to prescribe you this drug. And she said, let me guess, it's... X, <laughs> and he was like, how'd uh-huh. you know? She's she uh-huh. like, it's all, you got up the paraphernalia all over your office.
1: Yeah, it's sponsored everywhere, like a NASCAR event in <laughs> here.
0: Suboxone is the one now that they prescribe. They've I've even heard it prescribed for pain, which is weird because it has naloxone in it. It talks about it in here. Um, partial opioid agonist, buprenorphine, carries a lower risk of lethal respiratory depression when used alone, but has been identified as contributing to overdose death when used in combination with benzodiazepines and other sedatives. And and then it makes the point there's not been significant study to determine if kratom in combination with benzos and other sedative carry similar, greater, or lesser risks. Mm -hmm. Um, But they go on to say um, lethal doses in some of the mouse studies uh, when the, like I guess some of these um, LD50 studies, when they died it wasn't wasn't causes related to respiratory depression. Um, And then and they point oh, out that that Maco study from 1972, where they gave uh, a, a rat uh, 807 milligrams per kilogram, which is insane, uh, and there was no uh, yeah. so, no signs of toxicity. <laughs> of oh, I yeah. think that was of oh, pure mitragynine. They said kratom in it, so I think that was a slight mistake. But
1: yeah, it's like the elephant study. There's a classic elephant study where they like gave it an elephant so much LSD. This, like unbelievable like I, I i'm exaggerating but like uh, gallons of lsd and then <laughs> the elephant ended up dying and who knows what ended up dying from whether or not it actually was the, the chemical or like he probably psychologically, a heart he, yeah it yeah, was like floating he's freaked out yeah um but that you know that's just an old like you know just classic study that gets brought up in these situations where it's like you know you can't the title of it was lsd kills elephant not 20 gallons of uh, LSD killed the elephant. It's like you could same thing. uh, Water kills child, but it was the child fell off the dock and drowned. It's not that water killed them. It's wild stuff. I'm going to tweet out this uh, link to this article. And, you know, of course, Brian uh, will have the links in the description of the video. uh but i'm also going to make a post to the the reddit the kratom subreddit with this paper and just let people know this is an opportunity to like how to discuss kratom use with your doctor yeah uh, yeah it's a great resource and 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 uh, kudos uh to everybody who pulled this together is a great and timely piece
0: yeah yeah definitely and and uh any news on the cannabis museum opening
1: so yeah so we are pulling the um specific items together that we wanted to put in there and it was a, it was a big discussion because we have like different themes so like um bottles and you learn a lot about how the bottles have changed and bottle making and like some of the bottles that the cannabis were in are were radioactive because uranium became a thing Uh, there's also one specifically about like advertising and this and the other thing but um the board when what i pitched the board and what we ended up going with is like when we want people to come in there we want them to see the broad range of how much stuff is actually here like my first experience going into the warehouse and seeing the books, the posters, the prescriptions, you know, all of these things, the, the, the breadth of stuff related to medical use of cannabis. So that's what we need to be the first exhibit to be. Um, and so now that we know what the exhibit is, um, we are pulling that information together um i'm not sure if we're going to be open in april but we're getting very close and i know there's a lot of local interest as well i was wearing a cannabis museum shirt the other day and i had to go to the post office and two or three people asked me when it was going to open um <laughs> but i still have a, a reminder to keep everybody posted and uh you know i can't uh, uh, once it's up and running it'd be great to uh have you out for sure cool cool definitely i would like to just say that the fentanyl project so it's fentanylproject.org yeah the website has been finished now um we're able to collect donations um and we are setting up chapters in different cities so right now it's in atlanta um, and charleston and we're looking to expand that but what the fentanyl project does is buy fentanyl test strips puts them in a kit with instructions. You get about five test strips per kit. Um, That way people can take them home and use them like the next time. But the idea is we're sending people out to the bars and the festivals and the potential like locations where users actually are um, and giving them the test strips or even their friends who are like, Oh, I'd like to take that. I'm going to give it to my friends. So just putting the ability um, uh, for testing for fentanyl in the hands of the users uh, is the goal of what uh, FentanylProject.org is, and so that's all up and running. And if anybody would like to get involved with that, or um, or make a donation, um, or anything to that matter, definitely just get in touch with us. Um, we are we are new and uh, you know off the launch off the runway now, and are looking for more people to get involved awesome
0: awesome yeah i go to a lot of shows up here i can uh yeah i go to a lot of punk rock shows and even for people i guess who who just buy cocaine or something that that maybe even especially them uh not that's especially saying, but anything yeah, yeah. any any point, powder any street
1: drug yeah, yeah any street drug that's a powder you know should be tested it's wild that they're putting like people are putting fentanyl in cocaine because it's a stimulant, right? It's like not even the right direction. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to, the, with the test strip, you have to, you know, get a sample and put it in a liquid and then let it run up. It's kind of like a COVID test. Um, and I know there's been some pushback about like, well, I don't want to break up my pill, like, and then I won't be able to use it. Uh, and so in having those conversations and in our instructions, like you can put it into a into a container do the test, and then if it comes back negative, you could still drink the water. So, don't you know, don't necessarily. Plus, plus, by the way, we're trying to make sure that you don't overdose and die, so just keep yeah. that in mind.
0: Check out fentanylproject.org and check out Understanding Kratom, a guide for healthcare providers. The link is in the description. It's an excellent overview of Kratom for anybody, really, that wants to find out about it. And check out the Cannabis Museum in Athens, Ohio. Please like, subscribe, rate, review, comment, share. Music is Captain Big Wheel. The song is Moon Runner. Kratom Science Journal Club is written and produced by me, Brian Gallagher, for KratomScience.com. Take care.